Good morning. It's great to see all of you here together today. Um, we are in a, a little series that we're doing here in November called Give, the Surprising Grace of Giving. Um, what we've basically been saying is that one of the things that Jesus calls us to do is to be countercultural, um, to live differently than the world around us. And increasingly, it is the case that one of the most countercultural things that we can do, one of the most countercultural ways we can live, is by being people of generosity. That in a culture of, of profound consumerism and affluence, and that's been bitten by this disease of affluenza, um, we can be generous and sacrificial people and live a different kind of life that bears witness to Jesus and his kingdom. So today we're talking about the grace of giving our money. Next week we're talking about giving our time, which is probably even harder. The week after that we'll talk about giving our families and our households and, and then ultimately giving the whole of our lives. So if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to pick up where we left off last week as Paul writes to the Corinthians to encourage their giving to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. So let me pray as we go to God's word. Father, we do thank you that we are this beautiful family of faith, as, as different as we all are, yet bound together through the grace of Jesus. Uh, we are here today, God, not just to experience something together, but to do something together. And one of the ways that we do something together is through our giving. And so we pray that you would just open our eyes to see that today. Help me, help all of us through the Spirit, that we might not just hear your word and walk away with doing nothing, but that we would respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So hear God's word, friends. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Paul writes this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. One of the things that I love about this church is that you guys are always challenging me. Um, you're always pushing me, and, and, and you frankly don't take things at face value. I learned actually pretty, I've worked here for, for, gosh, 12 years now, and I learned pretty early on that there's a lot of you who know more about the Bible and more about theology than I do, and so I have to be really careful. So last week, if you were here, you'll remember that I preached um, on giving, and I talked about, one of the things I talked about is that the gospel 
when it really gets inside of your heart, should change your motivation to give. That you no longer give out of self-interest. Do you remember that? You no longer give for yourself, but you give just purely out of thanksgiving to God. Well, so one of you, sister in Christ, one of you was here, heard this, called me up on Monday and said, I think you're wrong. (laughs) I said, oh, okay, Uh, please tell me. She said, yeah, I just think you're wrong. I think that the Bible says all the time that Christians give out of self-interest. In fact, my husband and I do all the time. We give because... We, we are interested in being free from the toxicity of money and its power over us. We give because we want to experience joy about being part of something bigger than ourselves. We give because we get pleasure in being connected with fellow believers. And she just kind of went on and on. She said, I'm sorry, you're just wrong, and the Bible says so. <laughs> I said, okay, yes, ma'am. And so I, you know, I thought about it, and I realized she is right that it isn't that Christians don't give out of self-interest. It's that the gospel changes what the self is interested in. Do you hear that? The Holy Spirit changes what the self is interested in. So I take it back. I, t- I, t- she, I am corrected. And I realized just how much I need to be corrected when I read this passage. Because that's what Paul is saying in this passage. He is saying, quite bluntly, give to get. Give because you will get so many benefits out of it. Give because when you do, you're going to find out that God is going to pour out so many untold blessings in your life. Give to get. And it all hinges on this metaphor of the sowing or this verse in verse 6 at the very beginning. Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Think about that, friends. Um, If a farmer takes some seed and throws it into the ground, he doesn't say, oh, man, all that seed's wasted. No, but I made a sacrifice. No. Why does the farmer throw the seed in the ground? You know why? To get back a harvest. And the more the farmer throws in, the more that harvest, the more the harvest will be, the bigger it will be, the better it will be. The farmer gives to get. So Paul says, you give to get. And the more you give, the more you sow, the more benefits you will reap in your life. Friends, this is, uh, <laughs> this is Faith Commitment Sunday. And this is that, just in a moment, we do this every year, every beginning of November. For those of you who are visiting, just to give you a heads up on this, um, every, every first Sunday in November, we do this together as a church family, where during communion, we'll invite you up to, and when you come up for communion, we'll also invite you to, to drop off these, these faith commitment cards where you're making your pledge financially to the church body in the coming year. So this is one of those Sundays that you want to skip. We could be honest, friends. I feel awkward about it. You feel awkward. We're all sort of, oh, this that Sunday again. I think I might have a cold, honey. I don't think I can go to church today, right? But look, if what Paul is saying is true, this is like the best Sunday of the year. This is the funnest Sunday. In fact, he says in verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. The, the root, the, the word, the Greek word cheerful in the New Testament is the Greek word hilarion, which is from where we get our English word, hilarious. Paul's like, this is hilarious. You think you're giving away and you get all this stuff back. This is amazing. Join the fun, friends. Give to get. Okay, so that's the message today. Give to get. But what do we get? What do we get? That's what he's trying to unpack in this passage. That's what I want to look at you. What are some of the things that Paul says that we get when we give? Okay, the first thing that Paul says that we get is abundant provision. Look at verse 8. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, (laughs) lots of alls there, you will abound 
in every good work. Paul's saying that giving opens your eyes up to see and experience this abundant provision of God. Some of you may be familiar with the psychologist Brene Brown, um, who was made famous through her TED Talk, and she's written a lot. One of her most recent books, she writes a lot about what she calls the myth of scarcity. The myth of scarcity. And she, she basically says, the great irony is, is that we live in the richest society in the history of the world, and yet all of us walk around feeling like you are not enough, and you never have enough. We all feel this way. And it really doesn't even matter how much you have, because no matter how much you have, there's always somebody who's richer. There's always somebody who has a bigger house. There's always somebody who has a better car. There's always somebody who has a more extravagant lifestyle. You never quite feel like you have enough packed away for savings for college. You never will ever feel like you have enough for retirement. And then we actually perpetuate this myth through our lifestyles in which we earn, and then we buy a bigger house or a better lifestyle, and then we have to earn more in order to sustain the lifestyle that we've created. And so all of us, all the time, are always feeling like we're just getting by. That's the myth of scarcity. And what Brene Brown says is the myth of scarcity actually creates miserable people. Have you seen how it makes you miserable? It creates anxious people because you're anxious all the time that you're never going to have enough for yourself or your kids. Uh, it, it, it creates fearful people because you're always afraid that some disaster or emergency or loss is going to happen. It, it creates lonely people because we, take, we turn in upon ourselves. And it creates tight-fisted people because we feel like that everything, anything that we have, we've got to save it and preserve it for ourselves. So the myth of scarcity, friends, creates miserable people. And a lot of us are miserable because of this. So what do we do? How do we break it? Well, strangely, Paul says the way you break it is to give. That giving actually breaks the power of the myth of scarcity in your life and opens you up to the truth of God's abundant provision. How does it do this? Well, the first thing it does is it makes you realize and remind you that everything you have comes from God. Look at verse 10. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. He's saying he is the supplier. Friends, men and women, boys and girls, do you realize that everything you have is from God? The cereal that you ate this morning for breakfast, or the bacon, or the sweet roll, whatever you ate, that's from God. The car that you drove to church here in today, that's from God. The house that you woke up in, that's from God. The money that you make, that's from God. The fact that you live today in Richmond, Virginia, and not 1,700 years ago in a shack in the mountains of Tibet, that's from God. You're welcome. You know, that's, that's just a free gift of grace. You didn't do anything to deserve that. In fact, everything that you have and everything that you own belongs not to you, but to him. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that is not a gift? And when you let go of your stuff and give it away, you suddenly realize this. You realize that everything that you have came from God to begin with, and you're filled with gratitude for what he's given. Some of you parents have had this experience before where, you know, you're with your kid, you buy your kid a donut. Your kid's eating the donut, and you say, hey, can I have a bite of that donut? No, it's mine. <laughs> and you're like, are you serious? You're joking me, right? I just bought that donut and gave it to you, and now you're saying that that donut is yours? You have got to be kidding me. And so, you, so, but when the kid gives you a piece of the donut, he remembers, oh yeah, it wasn't mine to begin with. And that's one of the things that giving does. It reminds you that it's not your donut. <laughs> it's not your donut, friends. It never was to begin with. And giving reminds us that God is this super abundant provider who is constantly providing for our everyday needs, right? That's, that's one thing it does. The second thing it does to, to, to break this myth of scarcity is that when we give, God actually blesses us in return for our giving. Now, I was really struggling with this this week because Paul seems to be saying 
that the more you give, the more that God will give back to you. And that's exactly what he's saying. And I'm really nervous about this as a reformed preacher, okay? But I'm going to say the plain meaning of the text. That's my job. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. He says, he says uh, now he who supplies seed to the sower bread fruit will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Some of the commentators I read said that Paul is most likely thinking here of Malachi 3, that famous verse in Malachi 3 where God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Prove me, put me to the test, and I will pour out into your life blessings you cannot imagine. God is saying, come on, I dare you. I triple dog dare you, dude. I triple dog dare you that if you pour out and give abundantly and sacrificially and um, out of the, the, the heart of your life, then I will pour out untold blessings into your life. Come on, do it, do it, do it. I dare you. What does this mean? Does this mean that that God will actually give back more money to you to replace what you've given to him? Well, it might mean that. In fact, a couple of you have told me that this has happened to you. Now, we have to be careful with this. We're not preaching a prosperity gospel here. Have you heard about the, the, the guy who heard the prosperity gospel on the radio, the preacher, and he said, the preacher said, if you give me, if you send me $20 right now, I promise you that money will be tripled within a week. And so the guy called up and said, I've got a great idea. How about you give me $20 and your money will get tripled in a week, right? These guys are shady. We know what's going on here. And the problem with most prosperity gospel preachers is that they don't get the logic of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying he very well may increase your financial provision, but the purpose of that is why? Not to get your own personal Learjet, but to give generously so that, verse 11, you can be generous on every occasion. John Wesley famously uh, limited his expenses as his income grew throughout his life. So his first year of work, he made 30 pounds. It was in the 19th century. He made 30 pounds. He, kept, he used 28 for his living expenses, and he gave two away. By the end of his life, he made a lot more money, and he was making 1,400 pounds. He lived on 28 pounds, and he gave the rest away. He went from giving 10% to 90%. And so as his income grew, he didn't increase his standard of living. He increased his standard of giving. And that is astonishing. And so Paul is saying, yeah, God very well may financially bless you as you give, but the purpose is so that you can just give more. Give, God says, and I will pour out abundant provision. It may be financial, but more likely than not, it will be liberation, internal liberation. Liberation from the myth of scarcity. Um, you'll be set free from anxiety. Some of you actually won't ever be set free from anxiety about your finances until you're obedient to the scriptures and give because you'll see that God is actually providing for you in ways that he promises in the scripture. So Paul says, give. God says, I want to pour out blessings in your life and I, I will never be able to give them to you as long as your fists are clenched. Open them. Open them up. Let it go, and then I will pour out such goodness and mercy and provision in your life that you will be amazed. So that's the first thing he says. Give to get abundant provision. Second, though, he says, give to get lasting harvest. Sometimes people think that, that the Bible is very negative about money. And now, it is negative about the love of money. First Timothy says, um, the love of money is a root of all evil. Sometimes mis people misunderstand and think that saying money is the root of all evil. But actually, the Bible is quite practical about money and says when it's used well and stewarded well and not made into an idol, 
money is actually an incredible tool to build up the kingdom of God. So again, with this farming analogy, Paul is clearly saying that money is a seed that can produce a lasting harvest. Look at verse 9. It will produce righteousness that endures forever. Verse 10 says, God will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You know, all of us have been told at various times or other, you know, you can't take it with you. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses. You know, we've, we've heard that before. But actually, Paul's saying something quite different here. He's saying, you can take it with you. You can actually invest your money in a way now that produces investments that are lasting and enduring forever. He is pressing us to take the long view. The, I mean, like the really, really long view. Do you realize, friends, that only one trillionth of your life, only one trillionth of your existence will be lived in this present broken down creation? Do you realize that? Have you ever thought about that? Like one trillionth of your existence will be lived in this broken down creation. One day, the sun is going to wind down and burn out and die, and every single one of us are going to be there to see it. It's going to be like way better than the, the, the solar eclipse. <laughs> like, like you're going to need some serious glasses for this, right? We're all going to be there. And what Paul is saying is, look, use your money that makes an investment now that will outlast the sun. Use your seed now that will create a harvest that will endure forever. Jesus said almost the exact same thing in Matthew 6. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. He's saying, just like Paul, invest in those things that are going to be, going to be lasting. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a financial investor advisor who had a time machine? I mean, like, do, do you remember Back to the Future 2 when Biff goes back to his 1955 self and gives him the sports almanac so he can become a rich man betting on that. Anybody with me here? Like best trilogy ever made, right? Back to the future, right? Wouldn't it be awesome to have a financial advisor with a time machine? Well, look, you do if you're a Christian. You have Jesus. And Jesus says, look, I had the long view. I can see what endures. I can see what will not rust. I can see what will not corrode. I see what is not affected by time. Here's my advice for your portfolio. Invest in the kingdom. That's what he's saying. So many of the things that we put our money in We'll burn out with the sun. But he's saying, don't do it. Invest in people. Invest in relationships. Invest in cultural renewal that is driven by a commitment to Jesus. Uh, invest in the things of the kingdom, and you will have serious dividends long after the sun turns to ashes. So as a community of Jesus, friends, that's the opportunity we have to sow for a lasting harvest. In fact, we do this in our church budget planning process. We try to order it as much as we can around the priorities of the kingdom to see the gospel preached, to see lives changed, to see community formed, to see disciples made, to see the poor empowered, relationships healed, forgiveness extended, culture renewed, the city restored, the nations reclaimed. You can actually, you actually can budget your money around such things. And so we're asking, when we give together like we're going to do today, we're not giving to, 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 to meet our bills. We're giving to join together to sow for an enduring harvest that lasts forever. 
So, so Jesus is not against money. He's against wasting your money on things that are not going to last. He's not against investment. He's against bad investments, putting your money into things that will not endure. As Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's good logic. It's wise investment. We're giving to getting. We're sowing because we can't wait to see what the future harvest will be. Okay, so we give to get abundant provision. We give to get lasting harvest. We also give, this is real brief, deepened community. Look, look what Paul says here, what happens when we give. Look at the end of the passage. He's saying, when you give, you'll supply the needs of God's people, verse 12. They'll give lots of thanks to God. Many people will rejoice. Sharing will be increased, verse 13. Verse 14, these folks will start praying for you. Their hearts will go out for to you. Paul sees that the giving of the Corinthians is actually going to create community. It will deepen relationship between Jews and Gentiles. Love will be expanded. The circle of sharing will widen. Connections grow. Giving is an act of community building. So much of the way that we approach our financial giving is very private and and focused internally. But when the church gives, we come together collectively to build something together that we never could individually on our own. And that creates relationship. I love the story that Kevin Ford tells about when he wanted a, uh, he really, 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 really wanted a treehouse when he was a kid. And so he asked for a treehouse for Christmas and he woke up Christmas morning and he ran out back, opened the door, looked to the backyard, no treehouse. So uh, he, he goes back in looking very mopey and his dad says, what's wrong? He says, go out, look in the driveway. He runs out to the driveway and he sees a pile of lumber <laughs> and a box of nails. And then he feels his dad's hands on his shoulders say, we're going to build this together. And he said that, that was the greatest gift he ever received because what he got was not a treehouse. What he got was his dad. He got relationship. And I love what Henry Nowen says. He says, financial giving is never about the money. It's always about relationship. And that's what our giving does. That's why we do this together as a family. And we don't ask you to individually mail in your cards or something, which you can do if you want but we're doing this together. We're coming together. We're building something together. We're in relationship with each other. It deepens our love. It deepens our grace with each other. Not only that, it deepens our relationship with all of our partners. You can pick up this uh, in the corridor today. You know, we have over 85 mission partners, locally and internationally, that we give over a million dollars away a year to. And all of these 85 people and organizations represent a whole lot of relationships that we have now. People, I mean, people like the Armisteads, people that we've known and cared for for years and now who we're deeply in relationship with. That's what giving does. It connects us with each other and it creates relationship. It deepens community, okay? So what does giving do? It gets us abundant provision. It gets us lasting harvest. It gets us deep in community. And finally, one last thing, it gives us thankful hearts. When we give and use what God has given to us, we remember the giver and experience joy in the gift. Let me tell you about the best gift I ever received. Many of you know that I worked for this wonderful uh, man named John Stott for several years in London, who was a well-known pastor and author. And um, John Stott was just an amazing man on so many levels. I went to work for him when he was almost 80. And though he was highly successful, had spoken all over the world, had written over 60 books, um, he, he lived as this incredibly simple life. He lived in a tiny little apartment. He had two suits, two pairs of shoes, 
He ate very little in solidarity with the global poor. I lost 20 pounds working for him because he made me eat with him. <laughs> and, um, and he gave almost, he never took a cent from his books. He gave every single thing he ever made away. And um, a, a few months after he died, I received a, an envelope in the mail that had some very fancy script uh, addressed to me and postmarked from the UK. And I opened it up, uh, and it was a check for 1,000 pounds from Uncle John. He gave, even after he was dead, even after he was with Jesus, giving to me. And so what I did is I took that money, and I, um, I gave some of it to a ministry that he started to help pastors in the developing world. And then I took the rest, and I bought a really nice camera. Because Uncle John loved to take pictures, and he loved to take pictures of birds. And so now I try to take pictures, and I try to take pictures of birds. And every time I touched that camera, like I did just last this week on Halloween, I picked up that camera and just when I felt it and held it, all this gratitude welled up in my heart and gratitude to the one who so generously gave his life and everything that he had away for me and for the world. And that's what giving does, is that when you give, look at all the thanksgiving in this verse. Verse 11, your generosity results in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Verse 15, Paul can't even contain himself. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When we give, something happens to your heart. It's stimulated. To, and, and you're reminded of God's incredible provision. You remember the giver, not just in the way that he provides for you over and over again. Great is thy faithfulness, we sang. But it also reminds you of this great indescribable gift of the gospel that the rich Christ became poor to make the poor rich. Friends, God loves cheerful givers because he's a cheerful giver. Because Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus gave his life, and he did it cheerfully. Jesus gave everything, and he did it joyfully. And now he wants us to become givers like him because he doesn't want your money. He wants your happiness. He wants you to give, to get the happy, joyful heart that he has given so abundantly out of to us. So... This is hilarious. This is so funny. We're coming to this table, receiving the gifts from Jesus' own hand. We give back to him, and we get all this stuff back in return. It is so fun, so hilarious. Will you come and join the party? That's what Jesus is saying. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are so generous to us, that you give so abundantly to us. Um, your heart is happy. The, tr the heart of the Trinity is a happy heart. You, Father, Son, and Spirit, are eternally giving yourself to one another in happy love. And then you have turned to the world that you created, to sinners that rejected you, and you give yourself, your whole self, in happy, in happy love to us. You gave everything. And, and Lord, as we come to this table, help us to have happy hearts as we come, rejoicing in all that you've given to us, and may our gifts to you, our commitments back to you, fill us with thankful hearts, because we know that it is the thankful heart that is the happiest heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.